You're now in the huddle with Coach Calls Timeout, the podcast that dissects the mind of a different basketball coach every episode. We uncover what makes them successful and how their story translates to your coaching journey. Let's unlock your team's potential together. We are back. Welcome to episode 31 of the podcast. Today we have a great guest for you. He has a very unique perspective as a head coach in the NCAA. We're talking to Ed DeCellis, head coach of the men's basketball program at the Naval Academy. Coach DeCellis shares his journey from coaching East Tennessee State to a large school with big expectations at Penn State to an extremely unique situation coaching at Navy. It's amazing how different the three programs are, and yet his team core values and the characteristics he's looking for in players haven't changed at all. One of the things we preach about here at Coach Calls Timeout is consistency. It's the coach's job to provide stability and consistency, whether that's how you run practices, how you react to a situation with encouragement or discipline, or how you respond to adversity. It all needs to remain consistent. Players thrive when they can expect what's coming next. Our guest, Coach Ed DeCellis, deserves a master's degree in consistency. Before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about some exciting news here at Coach Calls Timeout. For those that know, we used to be a membership service for basketball coaches of all ages. Well, we're not that anymore. We still provide the same great service, hundreds of plays, drills, and practice plans, but the membership aspect, gone. We're hoping to help as many coaches as we possibly can. The best way to do that is to open our resource to everyone for free. No registration, no logins. Just go to coachcallstimeout.com and surf around for hundreds of plays, drills, practice plans, insights, tips, and interviews. Speaking of which, let's get to the interview with my brother Brian and Coach Ed DeCellis of the Naval Academy. You can follow along at coachcallstimeout.com slash 31. You've got a, a reputation as a builder. You've uh, done a great job of rebuilding programs. Uh, you spent seven years at East Tennessee State where you ended up taking them to the NCAA tournament. Uh, you spent eight years at your alma mater, Penn State where you won a, an NIT championship and, and made a tournament appearance there as well. You're in your seventh season as at Navy now, and as I said, you just had your first 20-win uh, season there. On Coach Call's timeout, we talk about all the all the things that are in coaches' toolboxes and, and make good coaches. What do you think is, is your strength, some of your strengths, and, and why you're able to uh, take a group of people and turn programs around? Well, I, you know that's a great question. Uh, I've been I've been fortunate to, to work in some institutions that, uh, first of all, support the coach. Um, you know, at times I, I sit around and talk to other coaches and ask the same question, and and I think it starts at the top. I think you have to have some administration that's very supportive of what you're trying to do because there's every once in a while on the way you need a little push, you need a little help uh, to cut through some some red tape and when I went to East Tennessee State we weren't very good but the administration there was very supportive now we you know it's you, you gotta you've got to figure out how to way to get it all done but every once in a while you need to push and they were supportive and same thing at Penn State and the same thing at the Naval Academy uh, we're able to um, you know turn a program that as I would say Brian these programs weren't very healthy you know we as a team assistant coaches and and our players we were able to turn around to be healthy. 
Uh, I, I think one of the big things when I talk to younger coaches is I'm, a, I'm an older uh, coach now at 59. Uh, one of the things I try to impress upon them is that you have to have pillars of, of, of what you believe in in terms of basketball and what's important to you basketball-wise and, and within your program. And, and for me, uh, my pillars are really simple. I, I, I want our kids to play great defense on the court. I want our kids to rebound the basketball on both ends, and we're one of the top rebounding teams in the Patriot League this year. And I want our kids to to not turn the ball over and get a shot up on the rim. Uh, so if you ask one of my players, hey, what's, what's Coach Anya about or what's important, they would say defense, rebounding, and taking care of the ball and getting a good shot. So those are the things I believe in, and those are the pillars of, of our basketball program on the floor. But I think there's just, some, you know, it's just as important to have pillars off the court. You know, we want to be a team that wins with class and wins with dignity. And so we, uh, we stress that constantly. We want a team that, uh, you know, we, we recruit young men now at the academy, obviously, to be very, very intelligent and uh, very academic because, it's, you know, you can't get into the academy unless you're a really good student. But I've always tried to, I've always tried to recruit good, good students because I've always felt that if a kid is uh, is doing good in the, in the classroom and is doing fine in the classroom, then he's not going to take any worries onto the floor. Like, hey, I'm not doing well on this course. I'm not doing well on that mm-hmm. course. It's going to affect him on, on the court. So we've always tried to recruit good kids uh, who have high morals and values. Uh, kids that, uh, as we spoke earlier, that could have uh, – opportunity to play in their state tournaments or, uh, you know, be all conference kids that, that really compete at a high level. Uh, and we want kids who are good academically and good socially and morally. I, I don't like to fool with guys off the court that don't want to do the right thing. And, and I think the most important thing I try to tell you or try to explain to young coaches is you can't take shortcuts. There are no shortcuts to success. You have to, to do it and do it every day because if you take a shortcut, you know, in my world, you end up getting lost. You know, I, I can always remember when I was going somewhere with my wife and my daughters and I'd say, hey, I'm going to take a little shortcut. Uh, sure as heck, we'd get lost before the age of cell phones and, and uh, <laughs> Google Maps. So I always uh, I always say to young coaches, hey, man, stick with what you're doing. Don't take any shortcuts. But you have to have some pillars of what you believe in and you can't change those because if you change those, you know, the kids will go, oh, coach doesn't believe in these things either. And uh, you have to believe in them as a coach. And I think more importantly, you have to get your players to believe in, in whatever those pillars are. You know, maybe you, you it's just different for every coach. Or maybe somebody believes in, hey, we want to be a great offensive team. We want to run transition. I don't care about rebounding. I don't care about defending. But we want to do these things. Well, that's great. Then build your program around that and those are your pillars. Yeah, I've told this story before, but the favorite coach I've ever played for was when I when I was very, very young, eight, nine years old. And the reason he was my favorite is because he made us, he connected and he made us feel special and we would have done anything for him. And he actually wasn't an X's and O's guy and he had something he called animal ball and he literally would tell five of us to chase the ball. And <laughs> I mean, you look back and it's crazy, but we won a lot of games because he believed in it and he made us believe in it. <laughs> sure. Nah, no, no question. As long as the guy, you know, your, your head guy's got to believe in it. And if he doesn't believe in it, it's not going to work. I don't care what you do. 
and more importantly, you know, your, your players have to believe in it. And if the players don't believe in it, well, you can you can forget it. And they can see kids are smart. Now, kids are kids are smart, and they can see through. Hey, I'm not sure coach believes in this either. So why in the heck are we gonna put our heart and soul into this thing as well? So I, I think, as you said, those are the really important, really important to believe in what you're doing. So you're out on the recruiting trail this morning. Yep. You've had probably three of the more extreme or difficult, uh, I shouldn't say difficult, the more extreme contrasting places to recruit at. You go from East Tennessee State, which would be a smaller school and a smaller con- or a smaller sure. smaller conference school, to Penn State, which is in the Big Ten with the big boys, to the Naval Academy, which would present, I'm sure, some really unique challenges in recruiting. Can you kind of compare and contrast? I mean, what you just spoke of, of the type of individual you want, I'm sure doesn't change. But how does the requirements, and especially at the Naval Academy, where I'm sure it's not for everybody, how do you narrow down and how do you sell your program and not only your program, but the lifestyle? Yeah, great question. Uh, Well, I I think, as you mentioned, it it is somewhat different. Um, I've always tried to recruit first and foremost good young men good good people like i i don't you know i don't want to deal with any guys with character issues uh, i just think it takes away from from the rest of the team and from the coach and so forth so we've always recruited high character guys east tennessee state i went in there and it wasn't it wasn't very good it was a mess and they had a lot of character issues so i had to uh start all over and, and then sometimes you know they talk about building programs and Sometimes you're hoping you just have to go in and remodel it, uh, but but most of the times when you get in there, you 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 know that hey, we got attitude problems. Um, we're going to have to make you know uh, really really drastic changes here if we want to get this thing turned around. So uh, East Tennessee State, more regional recruiting, more Tennessee, North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, uh, Florida. Uh, but I did venture, it was all Southeast. I did venture into Arkansas, get a good player, Mississippi, get a good player, Florida, get a good player too. Um, but more Southeast, I didn't really, I didn't really, uh, Southeast part of the United States. I really didn't venture out of that area because there were enough players in this area to, to help us. But again, we recruited good, first of all, good, good players. Kids were really talented and that they, um, had the morals and values that I was looking for as a coach. Penn State was more of a, a national recruiting um, situation where we had to go really coast to coast to get players, um, which was fine, and we were able to do that. But we didn't sacrifice what we were looking for. Um, very, very challenging at times in the Big Ten, trying to get the players to compete uh, because we didn't have tradition. We didn't have a lot of a lot of things, but we did have, you know, we had a great academic there and great campus and facilities and had the financial support we needed. So, but it was more of a, a national situation um, that we had to recruit in. And as, when I left there, I didn't ever really think I would leave Penn State until this Naval Academy thing came up and when they approached me about it. And I just thought, hey, I, this is a completely different challenge, as you mentioned. And I was just sort of like, I wonder if I could build a program in an academy, a service academy. So I took that leap and, uh, and went and came here and, um, Really, in six years, we've only had five, six recruiting classes, five recruiting classes. It's, it's different because there's no junior college players. There's no 
graduate transfer players. It's all high school kids, and you got to let them bring them in and let them grow and mature and, and, and develop. Uh, but it's a national recruiting situation here just because of the academic requirements of the academy. Uh, all great kids, great students. And, uh, you know, we're able to, to do it at three different places, three different models, really, but all basically the same. Good players who are good kids. Who, who do well academically and don't have any characters. So would your would your uh, academic requirements at the Naval Academy would would they be as high as um, an Ivy League situation or is it approaching yeah. that? Yes, they are as high and sometimes higher um, than an Ivy League situation. To be quite honest with you, um, the the math and science here is is extremely important. So if a young man doesn't have the proper math uh, in high school and have good grades math-wise, he's not going to get in. And sometimes the Ivy League, um, you know, it's the SAT score, obviously, but here at the academy, Brian, everybody has to take a, a huge block of math and science, no matter what you major in. So if you major in English, you still have to, you're still going to have to take all the calculus, all the physics, thermodynamics, electrical engineering cybersecurity, so forth and so on. So we need a student here that is really proficient in math. I can only ima imagine, I mean, you're, the pool of people that you're selecting from just gets smaller and smaller. Uh, so you're also, what type of requirements do the kids have? I mean, they have to make a five-year commitment, I believe, do they, to the, to the Navy? Sure, sure. To, to the Navy? Yeah, and, yeah, and that's the harder part of this thing when you get down to it. I think you can find kids academically, you can find good enough players, but at the end of the day, as you mentioned, after you complete your four years here at the academy, you're an officer in the United States Navy and you have to serve the, serve the country for five years. Well, some kids, you know, have a hard time with that. They don't want to do that, especially in times of, you know, turmoil across the, across the world. Uh, that's the harder sell for really the mothers of these young men, they don't, they really don't want their their sons to be involved in, in these conflicts at times, and and that's where it gets down to it. We we identify good players, we then identify good students. If we can get into the campus and see the beauty of the Naval Academy and all the opportunities that it offers, we have a pretty good shot of getting that young man. Because uh, when they come out, their officers will have a command. Uh, they can really sort of pick and choose where they want to live. Uh, within the United States in terms of our bases across the United States and across the world. But that five-year commitment is something that they really have to put their teeth into and and, uh, and and really embrace because that's never going away. And that's the, that's the I would say, the, the, the sticking point of us sometimes really getting a great player or not. So are there penalties? Like how, if they got through the four years and then said, no, nah, I don't feel like doing the, the five-year term, how, is, how does any of that work? Or how are they stuck to their commitment? Or is it just an honor thing? No, it's, a, it's an actual contract. Okay. So, uh, you know, the United States comes in, the, the federal government comes in at the end of your sophomore year before you before you uh, enter your junior year here for us. So you, so you put two years in the academy, and then the federal government comes in, and they offer these kids contracts. And, and uh, if you sign that contract, you are bound to finish your last two years at the academy and serve the United States for five years. 
if you don't want to sign, then you are dismissed from the academy at that point in time. If you sign that five-year contract, and barring something that was catastrophic, uh, a major illness that happened to the uh, to the young man, young woman, uh, something within their family that was really, really catastrophic, uh, they could relinquish you from your contract. But 99.9% of the time, you are bound by that contract. And if you decide you don't, after you sign those papers, if you don't want to serve, well, you got a big problem because now you broke a contract for the federal government. And what they'll do is they'll take it and put you on a ship for four years, five years, and you are uh, you're uh, just an enlisted person, which isn't good. And or they'll make you pay all the money back that the academy spent on putting you through college for four years, which is about a half a million dollars. And you have to pay it because they just garnish your wages that whenever you get out and never you go to work, they just take your check. So it's a very, very hard thing to, to get out of it. So we have sophomores right now that are finishing up here, obviously, the spring. And I'll, I'll have meetings with them next week. And that's part of my conversation with them is how do you feel about your, 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 your uh, contract that's coming up here in the summer? You plan on signing it? You know, and sometimes we lose guys that are played for us for two years. They'll say, Coach, I just don't think I can do it. I don't want to do it. Well, then, you know, they, 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 they move on, and and uh, we've got to try to recruit another player. So the people that, that are there, and especially, obviously, the ones that stay, really you've got unique individuals, though. I mean, they're, they're probably high performers. They're uh, motivated kids. They're... You know, you don't, they're not some of the challenges you might have uh, at other stops. Um, can you can you take us through what a typical day would be for one of your athletes? Yeah, you're right. It's very, very challenging here at the academy. They, uh, they, they try to stress you in a lot of ways because, as, as, I, as we've been told over and over, and it is uh, the Naval Academy where we're trying, trying to get young men and women prepared to be officers in the United States Navy, and that's the number one goal. So even though basketball is really important here and all our varsity sports are really important here, and we have 33 varsity sports at the Naval Academy, second most in the United States, uh, the ultimate goal is to prepare them to be officers. And so we always have to keep that in mind. So their day starts early, Brian. They, they start at 5.30 in the morning. They have to do physical training for a half hour, 45 minutes, then they go shower, get their uniforms on, and then go to the, you know, breakfast, have breakfast, and then they start their day academically. They go all morning with class, they have a, a break, quick lunch, and then they have afternoon class. And then we don't get them till 3.30, quarter to four in the afternoon, and we have a two-hour window for practice. Uh, and that's when we can practice. After practice is over, they eat dinner, and then they have study time, that they have to uh, that they have to adhere to, and then they're studying, um, you know, in the evenings like everybody else across the country, and then they try to get to bed and get as much time to sleep as they can because they're up at five thirty the next day. It's the challenging part for these young men is they don't take a tip. They take they take six courses. Uh, they take uh, you know, 17, 18 hours a semester. They don't have a whole lot of breaks in the day because they have to take so many courses. Uh, the academic load is just uh, very, very challenging because of all the math and science that everyone has to take. 
you know, for instance, if we get if we have a road trip or whatever, we we play a game on the road and we don't get home till 1 a.m. on the bus after the game. It doesn't matter. They're up at 5:30. They have to be up and ready to go. So sometimes in practice, I have to be able to adjust to that because they are just exhausted. And so as a coach, you have to understand that and and you have to go. You know, you have to have a a, a light day and. Um, not you no know, grind them as much because of they don't get enough sleep. Um, they can't roll over and hit the alarm clock and say, "Well, I don't think I'll go to first period today. I'm just going to sleep in. We're not doing much." If they aren't there in class, boy, it's uh, rockets go off. Um, it's a big it's a big problem, and they get in trouble, and they got to do different things to, to work it off. So, I, I think for our place, <clears throat> sleep is is really really hard to get at times. Uh, the academic challenges are outstanding. And then they have to march and do military drills as well. And uh, that takes some, you know, you can only burn the candle on so many ends. And so we, we have to, as coaches, have to adjust to that. I mean, that was going to be my next question is how do you deal with it as a coach? You must coach a little differently. But your your core values, rebounding, defense, and all those, those, those don't change. But are you able to do or maybe not do, depending on the type of athletes or whatever, but are you able, do you coach differently when it comes to actual basketball? Do you have, you know, because you have a more disciplined group, are you able to do a more advanced, uh, you know, more advanced systems? Are you, or or because of their workload yeah, right. and their commitment away from it, you want to keep it a little bit simpler? Uh, how, how do you, is there any yeah. coaching philosophy yeah. differences? Well, that's a good question. Uh, our, our kids are very bright, so if I give them the scouting report on a on a team that we're playing, and you know, you you put up a three or four page scouting report on each player, what they do, tendencies, so forth and so on, offense, they can really they can read that in ten minutes, and they and they have it, they got it. I could say number twenty, what does he do? Does he drive right? Does he drive. It? They can repeat it right back to you. Um, they're very very intelligent kids. What we tried to do here is I've had to adjust is we, we tried to go really hard. We, we, we try to play really, really intense. Uh, we have a really good level of toughness about us, but we don't go real long. Um, I don't practice real long. Like, I mean, a, a long practice for us now, once we is 90 minutes, a normal practice uh, after, you know, once we're into the season and end of, end of January, February, might be one hour. We might go 15 minutes of film on the floor for one hour, and then we might go 15 minutes of obviously shooting free throws. You know, we might do some strength training after. But I, on the court time, because of the demands, I don't. We, we, we try to get everything done in an hour, but we go really, really hard. And we've been able to be successful with that formula. I, I can't be out on the floor for two hours. I don't have that much time, and they don't have that much time. Um, because I can't make them, you know, that when they got to be at dinner, they got to be dressed, they got to be in their uniforms, they have to be looking the way they're supposed to look when they walk in there for dinner at 6 o'clock, 6.15. So I've got to give them time to, to get, uh, you know, to get themselves all put back together. They, they can't run into dinner in a you know, pair of Navy basketball sweats. That's not acceptable. they got to be in full uniform. So I've had to adjust uh, to their needs, which is uh, – which is which, which is fine. Uh, so we don't have the time 
on the court and maybe that some other places have. But as a coach, you've done this for a while. You, you need we, we can get what we want to get done. Um, but we just do it really, really hard. Well, and I'm guessing that the strength and conditioning parts that maybe you would have spent time on at the other places isn't quite as necessary when they're doing that in their everyday schooling anyways. Yeah, we do have a great strength coach. And, again, he's very good. I mean, he understands the value of their time. So, you know, after practice, we'll get 20 minutes, and he'll go up there and he'll bust them up for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and and try to, you know, continue to, to build on strength, especially our younger players who aren't playing, you know, maybe as much right now, but we think they're going to be really good to year. Um, halfway through practice, I could just say to my, my strength coach, hey, go lift those guys, and he'll lift them then for a good 45 minutes, and then the other 12 or 14 guys will come up after and um, and get a good lift. And, you know, I have more guys than a normal team has too. You know, normal roster here is 13 scholarship guys, and then maybe, you know, walk on or two for – Say around squad about 15. I had 20 this year, um, 22 actually. Uh, there's a guy hurt usually every once in a while, so we had 22. And so I have a JV program as well. The kids who aren't playing against the other varsity teams across the country we play, and just because they're not ready yet, uh, we have a JV program. We played I don't know 16 games this year. And, uh, and those guys play in those games if they don't play in the varsity games, which is a great advantage for us. Do they go on the road with you? I can only travel 15, so they don't go on the road with us. But we will, you know, we, we spend time with those guys. We're at the JV games, our entire staff, because uh, it's really, really important for their development. I, I had uh, four seniors this year on our team. All four seniors played at one point in time on the JV team, as we call it, developmental team. Yeah. They all played as freshmen because they just weren't strong enough yet. I mean, that's the biggest thing. And as you know, right, college athletics is from a freshman to a older guys is the strength. So those guys that don't play are not that they're talented. They're just not strong enough yet, not, you know, where we want them. So they, they play on a developmental team, and, and they lift, uh, you know, several times throughout the week to make sure they – they can get stronger and be ready ready to uh, help us the following year. From the personal side of things, I mean, you've you've moved around a little bit, um, and and three daughters, I mean, that are grown now, right? And how yeah. how um, how different is it on the personal side of of living? Do you live on the campus? Do you live near the campus? How's the life around the Naval Academy versus anywhere sure. else you've been? Yeah, well. We, I don't live on campus. Um, that's reserved for the for the captains that, that, that run the institution. And um, I live, you know, 15 minutes away in a beautiful little area. Annapolis, Maryland, is a uh, is just a beautiful town. It's a water town. Um, you know, we're right on the Chesapeake Bay, so it's a uh, it's a beautiful area to live. A lot of shops and restaurants. Campus is absolutely gorgeous. We're surrounded by water on on three sides. Uh, beautiful architecture, older buildings, beautiful grounds. You know, we're really close to Washington, D.C. and Baltimore. We're 40 minutes from, from each, each city. So it's very convenient to, uh, you know, go to Washington, D.C. and you can go to a nice restaurant or show, whatever it may be, and take in all the sights of the nation's capital, which is, uh, which is fun and exciting. So it's a great place to live. My, my daughters are all grown and they live elsewhere. Uh, 
you know, for my wife and I, it's been a, it's been a uh, great place to live and, and meet, you know, friends and so forth. Uh, great summers and spring and fall. Uh, we got great coaching staff and really a supportive athletic administration. So it's been a, um, it's been a fun, exciting time trying to build this program. And we were, you know, we're, we're, we're better than when I got there. When I first got there six, six years ago, so seven, we, you know, we didn't win a game in the conference and we were laughing soccer league. And now we're, we're very relevant. And as I looked the other day, there's only one school in the last three or four years. It's won more games than us. It's been Bucknell, but we're second in wins at the Naval Academy uh, in our in our league. So that we, we've come a long way, and but we're not where we want to be. We want to get to the NCAA tournament. We want to be an NCAA tournament team, and and that's our goal. Hey, it's Dan here. I'm jumping in real quick to tell you a bit about us. Coach calls timeout. We're a basketball coaching resource. If you're a coach and you're looking for a single location to find plays, drills, practice plans, check us out at coachcallstimeout.com. Our plays and drills are in video format and they show all the critical timing required to be successful. And best of all, it doesn't cost you a single penny. We're now free, no restrictions. Registration, logins, they're all a thing of the past. Just go to coachcallstimeout.com to find what you're looking for. If you need something specific, just send us a message and we'll probably make a video just for you. Let's get back to the interview with Coach Ed DeCellis and the Full Court Press. Well, I really appreciate the time that you've taken uh, to discuss it today and we learned a little bit about not only you, but um, your athletes and the different things that they have to go through at the Naval Academy. So um, we, we wrap up every one of these episodes with a little thing we call the Full Court Press and all I'm looking for is uh, short uh, one or two word answers, if you don't mind, uh, to three or four sure. quick questions. What's your favorite thing to do away from basketball? Take a walk. What sport, what would be your next uh, favorite sport if it isn't basketball? Football. What, who was your favorite athlete growing up? Pete Maravich. And in uh, ranking these in order of favorite to least favorite part of your job, practice? The games or recruiting? <laughs> Practice number one, the games number two, and recruiting number three. Well, then I'm going to let you get off to your third favorite thing right now and continue to, <laughs> <laughs> continue to recruit. <laughs> um, we All look, right, Brian. Thank you very much. We look forward to catching up to you here in about a month or so. Yeah, we, uh, we very much look forward to having you up here, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Thanks again. Okay, thank you. All right, take care. There you have it. Pretty amazing. Coach DeCellis has some unique challenges at Naval Academy, but his approach and consistency have set him up for success. Look for Navy to be in the NCAA tournament in the near future. If you enjoyed what you heard, we'd appreciate if you could rate us on Apple Podcasts or tell someone about the show. It really does help others discover us. Everything we've talked about today can be found in our show notes at coachcallstimeout.com slash 31. Our next episodes are going to be in a little different format. No more interviews, just myself and my brothers Brian and Brady discussing specific aspects of coaching. It could range from how to deal with parents, making cuts, getting through to difficult players, or just plain strategy. We'll handle one topic per episode in 10 minutes and release a new episode every week. If you're a basketball coach, I would advise going to coachcallstimeout.com 
Check out our new homepage and pick and choose from over 200 plays, drills, practice plans, and tips all for free. Next week, Monday, we'll release a new podcast episode. See you then.